Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Next Sunday will be one year from my first Sunday at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. And I came in last year with two primary goals for the year. It was kind of nice for me to start right at the beginning of the year. I, I like to make resolutions. I like to think in terms of the year and what God wants to do. Every year God seems to give me, uh, God gives me words, like specific words that I need to focus on. I've got two for this year. And when I, when I was thinking about the church last year, the two words that God gave me for 2018 was to love and to listen. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to love on you as well as I could, and I wanted to listen to you and to the Lord. That's what I wanted to accomplish. I didn't have really any other ambitions greater than that. I wasn't looking to change a lot of things, to revolutionize anything. I wanted to love and I wanted to listen, specifically uh, to hear what you have to say and learn from you. I didn't know this church. You know this church. And then primarily to fast and to pray and to listen to the Lord. I think... I think that matters. And I really think that the Lord just blessed that in my own life and allowed me to hear from him. I remember being here a couple of months and, you know, I'm coming in and you all have been waiting for a number of months for a new pastor and you've been waiting for the new pastor to change all the things that you think need to be changed. And, and uh, you let me know that, which is great. Praise God. And I, um, so a couple of months in, it's pastor, when are we doing this? And when are we doing this? And it's been six weeks. I don't know why this hadn't happened yet. And I remember about two months in coming to you on a Sunday morning, just like this and saying, I just need to clarify something for a minute. I said this to you. I said, I have no idea where we're going, but I know exactly what I'm doing. What I meant is this. If you're asking me specifics about what's next and what are we doing, I have no idea. But I know what I'm doing. What I'm doing is loving and listening. I'm just, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord. And the last thing I want to do is move forward in a direction that came from me and not from the Lord. And so that takes time to do that. And I didn't even throughout that say, well, I'm going to have that ready by January and we'll get going. No, it was just waiting. And, and that's what I've really been doing. But I want to tell you this morning, I begin a five-part series that I believe comes from that. Uh, I have not really given you any mission, vision type messages since I've been here, uh, but I'm ready to do that. I think God has invested some things in me that I'm ready to speak to you about our church, and many of you have seen that in this little book that has come to many of your houses, and if not, we have those available out here. But I want to begin this morning for the next few weeks to talk to you about some things that, I'll be honest, are very simple. Uh, they're basic, they're foundational they are church 101, and for many of you, you will say, it took you a year to figure that out, and uh, you will be underwhelmed. The issue is this, it is not simply that we just need clarity, we need clarity and unity. We need to be able, every one of us, to communicate very clearly who we are, what we're doing, and how we're going to do it. We've got to be on the same page. This is the way the church works. The church works when you have a united group of people, not simply united because we all love Jesus, that's the foundation, but united because we all know what we're doing and we're going in the same direction. And so that's the goal. The goal is to answer uh, three primary questions. What are we doing? How we're doing it? And who's doing it with us? Uh, and that are, those three questions are answered in understanding mission, method, and membership. So I'm going to spend five weeks talking about mission, method, and membership. Mission is, what are we doing? Method is, how are we going to do it? 
So I think that's the question that's often missed in a church. We always say, yeah, we're all about this. But then the question is, okay, how are we going to do that? So we want to talk about that. And then, and then we've got to talk about this question, who's in? Who's doing this with us? We've got to get clarity on who's in, who's out. Who, who, who hears this and says, man, I'm ready to jump in with that. I get, I get excited about that. I want to be a part of that family. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about over the next five weeks. And we're going to begin this morning talking about mission, about mission. And as you would have expected, I'm starting in Matthew 28. I think the goal for us in this message is to have a clear, unifying statement of mission that all of you know. You can just say it. If someone says to you, what's Prince all about? You can just say, it's all about this. We've got to be able to do that. And it's that kind of clarity we need every person on board, knowing where we're going, what we're doing, and uh, is able to articulate that. Now, I don't know about you, but I spent most of my life thinking about Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, as a, as a missions text. If, if it's missions day or you get called to speak at a missions conference, you, you preach Matthew 28. But I've discovered the more I've understood the church is that Matthew 28 is not primarily a missions text. We don't engage in the Great Commission because we love missions. We engage in the Great Commission because we love Jesus. We're not a Great Commission church because we want to be missional. We're a Great Commission church because we want to be biblical. It is not a missions text. It is a local church text. This is not what missionaries should be doing. This is what the church of Jesus Christ should be doing. Whenever I get a chance to speak to pastors, I tell them something like this all the time. No church has the right to come up with their own mission. Like you don't need to go on a three-day retreat and try to figure out the mission of the church. Jesus gave us the mission of the church. Now, we need to figure out what it means and how to articulate it, but the mission has been given to us. And the Great Commission is the foundation of everything we do in every area of ministry, from our preschool to our senior adults. Every area has to have the exact same mission. And that's another thing we're just trying to correct. We, we don't want to be isolated ministries, siloed ministries. Well, this ministry's doing this and this ministry's doing this. What I'm presenting to you in the next five weeks is basically what every ministry at our church is going to fall under and work the same way. And uh, we want to begin this morning with the mission. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through this text with you, familiar text. I want to see how it's broken up. And then in the midst of that, I want to clarify what it is Jesus is saying here and then give us a statement that hopefully we'll all know and will get us going in the right direction. So listen to what it says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if it helps you to have an outline of how this text is broken up, it's really broken up in terms of Christ's authority, Christ's command, and Christ's presence. It starts with a statement of his authority, then it clearly goes based upon that authority to his command, and then ends with his presence, this promise of his presence. So let's look at it together, verse 18. Jesus starts by saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, if you were not familiar with Scripture and you were just to start in Matthew 1 and you were to read throughout, I, I think if we weren't so familiar with this, we would be surprised by this statement. Because throughout Jesus' ministry, he's already established his authority fairly well. We have seen 
that he has authority over demons. He tells them to shut up and they shut up. He has authority over sickness. He tells us to be gone and it is gone. He has authority over weather. He tells the wind to stop and the waves to stop and they stop. He has authority over death. He tells a dead person to get up and the dead person gets up. That's significant authority. The world has never seen someone walk the face of this earth that walks in that kind of authority. What he says matters. And so it seems to be surprising that Jesus says right here, now all authority has been given to me. But it's not referring to the presence of his authority. It's referring to the scope of his authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That after his humiliation, meaning his death, his burial, and his resurrection, then God the Father took all of the authority and gave it to Jesus Christ. So now Jesus Christ is the mediator of the authority of God. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. This is why it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that God raised him up and seated him at the right hand of the Father far above all rule and all power and all authority and all dominion and above every name that is named in this age and the age to come. Above all, far above all, far above all authority and rule and dominion is Jesus Christ. Not just above, but far above. Philippians 2, it says that God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That all the authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. He has universal authority. And the authority of Jesus is the basis for the mission of God. We know that because after he states his authority, he says, now go therefore based upon this mission, I mean, based upon this authority, accomplish the mission. You say, well, how does the authority affect the mission? I think in a few ways. First of all, it gives, it gives weight to the mission. <laughs> I mean, he is the authoritative commander-in-chief. All authority has been given to him. Therefore, listen, the authoritative one who is far above all rule and power and authority has given this command. And it seems to me that if the authoritative one gives a command, we should listen and respond to that command. Have you ever heard a little kid say something like this? You're not the boss of me? Now, usually they don't say that to their parents. If so, that's another sermon for a different day. But usually that happens in the context of someone apart from a parent, a babysitter, a Sunday school teacher. I'm sure that would never happen. But... uh, who is saying to a child, child, stop doing this, to which the child understands authority, knowing that mom and dad have the right to tell me what to do, but you don't. Who are you to step in and say to me that I need to stop doing this? They're challenging authority. So authority matters. The establishment of authority matters. What's happening in this text is that Jesus is saying, church, let me tell you something. Go be about making disciples to which we cannot say you're not the boss of me. Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And we, as followers of Christ, have submitted ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. And becoming a Christian is saying this. I trust that you're the way. I give myself to you. Whatever you say goes. You're the Lord of my life. To which the Lord then says, go make disciples. It does give some weight to the command. It also gives some scope to the command. He has universal authority, meaning this is a universal mission. He is Lord everywhere. 
He is Lord over all rulers and all authorities and all dominions. He is a ruler over all of those things, which means whether we are sharing the gospel in Bogart or Bulgaria, or Athens, Georgia, or Athens, Greece, we can go into any of those places and say this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, submit to him. He is the Lord here. He is the Lord there. There is no place in this entire world in which Jesus Christ has not established his rule and authority. Which means we can go to any of those places and demand that they submit to the authority of Jesus Christ because one day we know all of them will stand before him and give an account for their life. It shows us the scope of the command. It also gives hope to the command. Sure, it does make it weighty and it gives scope to it, but it gives hope to the command. Listen, because he has ultimate authority, he has ultimate control and power. So I know that the one who is sending me out and the one who is calling me to go make disciples, not simply to the ends of the earth, but to your neighbors and to your coworkers and to your friends, that is the one who also has all authority and ultimate power. So what that should do to us, listen, it should give us ultimate confidence. This is why this matters, because I should realize that as I go out to share the gospel, I'm not only doing it in obedience to the Lord, I'm not only doing it knowing that every person needs to hear this, I'm doing it with an incredible amount of confidence knowing that the one who has all authority has called me and is overseeing me and has me in his hands. Therefore, I should walk in the authority of Jesus Christ with full confidence. Now, I I would venture to say, That does not describe most of our evangelism. Confidence. But it should. Go in the confidence that is yours. The authoritative, powerful one is sending you in his authority, under his authority, and no one can touch you without his permission. So go. This is why Hudson Taylor, the great 19th century missionary to China, would say something like this. Jesus never commanded us to go out and try. He commanded us to go do. (laughs) We don't have our head down thinking, boy, I tell you, I hope hope someone listens and I hope something happens. And we're not sheepish. We walk in the authority of Jesus Christ and declare there is a Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. And there is only one way to heaven and you must give your life to Christ. And friend, I, I beg you, give your life to Christ. We walk in the authority of Jesus with full confidence into this mission. The authority of Jesus matters. But after establishing his authority, look at verse 19. He says, therefore, based upon my authority, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of of all nations. Now, this, I think, to the disciples was very simple. Think about this with me. These disciples had just spent three years in a discipleship process with Jesus. So what they heard at the end of this is, I'm leaving, now you go do for others what I just did for you. I don't don't think they had to wonder or question, Jesus, what do you mean by making a disciple? Because they just went through it. They, They just went through a process of Jesus making disciples. So what Jesus was saying to them is, you go do what I just did for you. But somehow, over the centuries, we seem to have lost the simplicity of this. I mean, in every church I've ever been, you ask someone what it means to make a disciple, and you will get a thousand different answers. 
I just, a year in, have been unloading some books that have been in boxes since I moved here. I uh, got some new bookshelves at the office. And so I was unloading uh, last week the category of missions and evangelism. And as I was doing that, I was reminded of how many books have been written on what it means to make a disciple. That there is not simplicity. And I, I think it often falls into two categories. There is one group of people that believe making a disciple means leading people to Jesus Christ. That's it. Like you got to lead people to Christ. That's what it means to, to make a disciple. There are others who believe that making a disciple is taking a Christian and training them and, and teaching them. And these two groups often have conflict. I think about listening to my dad preaching as I was growing up, and I remember him being frustrated with the idea of discipleship. And I was wondering, Dad, why would you be frustrated with the idea of discipleship? What he was frustrated with is a thing he was seeing going throughout churches in America, which was this, is that discipleship had ended up being nothing but believers sitting in class after class after class after class after class and not doing anything. That that was discipleship. They say, well, which is it? Is it leading people to Christ or is it helping them grow? To which I would say, yes. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. It is both of those things and and all of those things. Now let me explain this. And I I really need you. I know it's the beginning of the year. I know you've got a sugar hangover. I know all of this. But you got to stay with me here for a minute because we've got to get clarity on this. What is a disciple? A disciple is is anyone who trusts and follows Jesus. A disciple is anyone who trusts and follows Jesus. The moment you become a Christian is the moment you become a disciple. You've heard this. I've heard it. People say, Pastor, he knows the Lord. He's just not a disciple. He just hasn't been discipled. Let me just tell you something. I want to be very clear here. There is no category in Scripture anywhere for a Christian who's not a disciple. That category does not exist. To be a Christian means that you have chosen by faith because you believe Jesus is the way to enter into a relationship with him in which he is now leading and you are following and you are in the process of discipleship. At the moment you become a Christian, you become a disciple. A disciple is not some second-tier Christian. Like, he became a Christian, and five years later, he became a disciple. No, no, no. I mean, when Jesus invited people to him, he said in Mark 8, 34, he said, anyone who wishes to come after me, which, by the way, is his invitation to become a Christian, anyone who wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you want to be a Christian? Well, that means following Jesus. And I I have to be honest, we've done this to ourselves. We've brought this confusion into ourselves because here's what we've done. What we've done is this, is we've taught Christianity in a way that makes people think that if we can get you forward to say a prayer, that's the end. You've done it. That's it. Like we can just get you to say a prayer then I have assurance that you know the Lord. And if you don't walk with, how many times have I heard this? Well, you know, my my son, he said a prayer when he was five, so I know he's a believer. He just hadn't walked with the Lord for 30 years. If If your son has not walked with the Lord for 30 years, he's not a believer. 
we are not calling people to a one-moment decision. We are calling them to enter into, by faith, a life of following Jesus Christ. Does it begin at a moment? Absolutely. Could it begin with a prayer of confession and repentance? Absolutely. There has to be a moment in which you say, Jesus, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that I'm headed to hell without you. I also acknowledge there's only one way for me to be saved, and that is trusting Jesus Christ alone as the payment for my sins. I trust you. I submit my life to you. That begins the moment of discipleship. At that moment, you become a disciple. Now listen, that doesn't mean you're a good one. It just, it just means you are one. Now th- th- this, is, this is where this is gonna start to make sense. When did Matthew become a disciple of Jesus? The answer is the moment Jesus said, follow me, and he left the tax collector's office and followed Jesus. He was a disciple, was he a good one? No. When did Peter, James, and John become disciples? The moment they left their nets and Andrew and began to follow Jesus. Were they good ones? No, they were terrible ones. Two years in, they still have not figured out that Jesus is going to suffer and die. Two years in, they figured out he was the Messiah. And then when Jesus says, yes, I am the Messiah and I'm going to suffer and die, Peter, who's been a disciple for two years, rebukes him. They're not good disciples, but are they disciples? Yes. How do you know that? Because Jesus invited them and they believed enough to step into this relationship and begin to follow him, leaving everything else behind. And at that moment, they became a disciple. Discipleship, I mean, a decision to follow Jesus Christ is the first step in a long process of discipleship. Listen, I... We are not calling people into a moment. We're calling them into a life. We're calling them into a process. We're calling them to enter into a life of following Jesus Christ. Discipleship is not a degree you get. It is a process you enter. You don't do this one thing, then you're good, everything's set, nothing else. No, 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 no. That moment in which you give your life to Christ is the beginning of a new life in which you have chosen by faith to follow Jesus Christ. And I assure you, when you start, you will not be a good one. But the rest of your life is trying to figure out how to be a better and better follower of Jesus Christ. One of the ways I I think about it is this. Just picture with me. I know this is going to be hard in the day in which we live to picture a person like this, but but try to stay with me. Imagine a, a, a guy that graduates from high school and he can't quite figure out what he wants to do with his life. It's just, imagine, it's it's a stretch, but just imagine. And his parents tell him he should go to college, and he doesn't think he's fit for college, but he decides to go, and and he goes, and he gives it a semester, and it just doesn't fit with him. What I mean by fit with him is he doesn't really like to be on a schedule. (laughs) He doesn't like people telling him what to do and to do homework, that's just, that's just not his style. And so he very clearly communicates to his parents, this is just not me. We could talk about that, but he, it's just not me. And so he's trying to figure out, and so he, he kind of wanders around for three or four years and he picks up a job here and a job here. The problem is all of those jobs require things that aren't him, like, like timeliness and work. And he just, he can't figure it out. And he kind of just tries to find himself. And that's kind of what his answer is now. I'm just trying to find myself and figure out who I am. And so he's going through life to the point where when you look at him, you can't quite figure out if he's homeless or a worship pastor at a cool church. Like it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's kind of on the, like the beard has got food in it. And you think he might be homeless, 
but he might be a worship pastor. I don't know. Like, he's one of those. <laughs> and so you just, and you see him, and all of a sudden he comes to his senses and he thinks, I can't live like this anymore. I gotta figure out something to do. And in a crazy moment, he just gets up one day, walks to the Marines recruiting office and signs his name. Now, at the moment in which he signs his name, listen to me, he's a Marine. Like, he, he's not getting out of that. Like, he just signed up four years of his life to get a Marine. He doesn't look like a Marine. He doesn't act like a Marine. He doesn't smell like a Marine. He doesn't talk like a Marine. He, nothing about him looks Marine, but he has signed his name. He has entered into the process. He is a Marine. Now, what's going to happen to him if he lives on the east of the Mississippi is that he is going to be sent to Paris Island, in which the title or the theme of Paris Island is this, We Make Marines. And they will spend the next few months making him look like a Marine and act like a Marine and smell like a Marine and talk like a Marine. He becomes a Marine and then enters into the process of looking like a Marine. Listen, making disciples is like making Marines. We take those who have enlisted and we train them. This is what the church does. We invite people into a relationship of discipleship with Jesus Christ, and then we teach them what it looks like to be a good disciple. This is what the church does. I don't know where we got in the idea that our job was done the moment they came and gave their life to Jesus Christ. Now listen, we have said, listen, great, now that you've chosen by faith to follow Jesus, let's talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus gets at. He says, go make disciples. What does it mean? Make a disciple. It means make someone who follows Jesus. Like just get people to trust and follow Jesus. And then what do you do? Look, you baptize them. You get them to go public with their faith. Are you serious about this? And in this time, to go public and be baptized was to go into a hostile environment and publicly say, I am identifying myself with Jesus Christ. I mean, when you get baptized here, you get a standing ovation which I love, we should celebrate that. When they got baptized, they might not have lived. So they're saying, no, listen, I believe this enough to go out in public and get baptized with a bunch of Christians so everybody knows I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Baptize them, and then what do you do? You teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. You get someone who's come to Christ and you realize this is just a moment of the first moment of the rest of their life and they want to follow but they don't know how and, and so we teach them. We just begin a process of, of teaching them what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We begin this process of spiritual formation and then hopefully if we do it right and we teach them to observe everything, then they start making disciples and then they teach those disciples and they start making disciples. You have this idea of like discipleship is evangelism or discipleship is training. What I want to say is that is discipleship. Making disciples is calling people to trust and follow Jesus and then helping them continue to trust and follow Jesus. So here, here's how I would say it. Here's how I would define in simple terms the mission of Jesus and what I believe is the mission of Prince Avenue Baptist Church. Are you ready for this? Here it is. Leading people to trust and follow Jesus. Leading people to trust and follow Jesus. You say, well, is that, is that evangelism? Is that discipleship? Yeah, yes. So, so think, about it, think about it this way. 
is every time I go to a lost person and I want to share the gospel, what am I calling them? I'm calling them to trust and follow Jesus, trust Jesus and follow him. And then when I minister to someone who's been a believer for 30 years, what am I doing in that moment? What am I doing in a class on Wednesday night? I'm pleading with them to keep trusting and following Jesus. Because you know, tomorrow morning you got to wake up and you got to say, I'm going to trust and follow Jesus today. And every single day after that, you continue to trust and follow Jesus. Christianity is actually quite simple. It's a life of just daily choosing by faith to follow Jesus Christ. So the goal for my neighbor who doesn't know the Lord is to call them to trust and follow Jesus. And my goal for Sky Pratt is to plead with him to continue to trust and follow Jesus. And his goal with me is to plead with me to continue to trust and follow Jesus. So what I'm saying is this. This idea of leading people to trust and follow Jesus is a holistic command to make disciples. Call them to trust and follow and then teach them how to trust and follow. Call them to give their life to Christ and then teach them how to be a good disciple. What I love about that is this, is that mean the mission for the church is not only for the lost out there, it's for the saved in here, but the mission is the same. Lead them to trust and follow, lead you to trust and follow. Every time I get in this pulpit, I open this word, and I look into your eyes and I speak to you, I have one objective. I just want to plead with you to keep trusting and following Jesus. I want you to trust him today. I want you to trust him with your circumstances. I want you to trust him with your shame and your pain and your hurt and your past. And I want you to choose today to walk out of here and, and hopefully for one more day to follow Jesus. And I want to get you back next week because I, I want to once again just plead with you to trust and follow Jesus Christ. And then I want to get you back the next week and I want to plead with you to do the same thing. We are leading people. We're leading, we're involved in the lives of people and we're leading them to trust and follow Jesus. Now, now look at how he ends there. Verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now what I love about that is, is it kind of bookends the command. Because first you have this statement of authority which is supposed to kind of fire you up a little bit. The authoritative one calls me and I walk in his authority and I go to the ends of the earth and you kind of get pumped up a little bit and then you get the command and you start to go down a little bit and then all of a sudden it comes at the end and says, no, listen, I'm gonna send you out to do this. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna cost you something, but know this, I will go with you. That even to the end of the age, I will be with you. And we realize the promise is equal to the task that we have his authority, we have his word, and we have his presence. That's what we need. We need to walk in his authority. We need to proclaim the gospel. We need to proclaim his word. And we need to acknowledge that we have his presence with us even until the end of the age. Now, the significance of that is not only that he's with us, but it reminds us of this. We've got one mission until Jesus gets back. That's it. One mission until Jesus gets back. Until he returns this is what we do. And when he returns, we want him to find us doing this. And I've just discovered over and over that the greatest tactic of the enemy is to get the church to do anything but this. You say, oh, pastor, this is it's so simple. I know, I'm just not convinced we're all on the same page here. Not because I question you and your knowledge, I just know what church is like. And I know that if we don't all agree on this simple thing, we exist as a church to lead people to trust and follow Jesus for the glory of God, exist to lead people to trust and follow Jesus, then we will never make progress. Every single one of us, as we're thinking about, do we wanna be a part of this church? We have to realize this, God has called us to this one thing. We will join forces to lead people to trust and follow him. That's it, that's what we do. 
Now, one of the things we've done over the last few weeks, and I'll say this and then, and then I'll close, is we've put together um, a new logo, and you've seen it on here, and I think we're going to put it up on the screen here in a minute. But I, I want to be clear about something here. This is not about branding. This is not about being modern. This is not changing the image of our church. Let me, let me tell you why this matters. Because I, I have a tendency to be cynical towards these kind of things, like that we don't need a new logo. Let's just be about the mission. Here's why it matters to me, is that a logo for a church that's a good logo helps you understand and be reminded of what we're doing, and it helps you communicate what it is we're doing. Now, every single part of this logo clarifies our mission and our method, every bit of it. And I'm going to talk about that in the following weeks. But if you go to the next slide, you'll see that in this logo is four arrows. And those arrows clarify our mission. Everything is pointing to this. Everything we do is pointing to this. Our mission is to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. And, and it needs to be by this afternoon, about two o'clock, that if anybody asks you, what's the mission of Prince? You say this, we're leading people to trust and follow Jesus. That's what we do. We exist as, if we don't do that, let's close the doors. We lead people to trust and follow Jesus. And those arrows are communicating that everything points to this. Everything we do is drawn towards this. So my goal for you is to lead you to trust and follow. My goal for an unbeliever, lead them to trust and follow. And I think what's going to happen over the next few weeks as we talk about the outer little parts there and how they define our method, you're going to be able to do what my six-year-old did in service last week. So I was sitting down there because my brother was preaching and I mean, it was kind of average. And so she was drawing and... Um, <laughs> And she looked at the little logo here, and I just looked over, and she drew it perfectly. And so what is going to be able to happen is this, is that at the end of this five weeks, you're going to be able to take that, you're going to draw those four arrows, and you're going to say to somebody, let me tell you about Prince Avenue. First of all, arrows, we exist to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. Well, how, how are you going to do that? And I will show you over the next few weeks how the outer parts of that cross tell you exactly we want to lead you in an upward life of worship, an inward life in community, an outward life of mission. And you'll be able to, by drawing that, explain everything we do and how we do it. That's the goal. It's to remind you. So every time you see that, you are reminded that we exist to just bring people to trust and follow Christ. I think you've heard me say over and over, I talk about this a lot, that I'm a Jesus guy. I know that sounds funny, but I, I love Jesus and, and I love to sing about Jesus. I can't stand going to a church and you sing three songs and you can't tell if you're singing about a girlfriend or a boyfriend or Jesus. I, I, want G, I want to say Jesus a lot in church, all about Jesus. Matter of fact, I got this little hidden dream. I, you know how there's lights behind that cross? I want the word Jesus right up there to the left in the same letters. I just want people to walk in and go, well, okay, they're about Jesus. And they're going to hear that from me. I just want to be a Jesus guy. And I think about that and I realize this. Listen, I love Jesus. I want to exalt Jesus. We glorify the Father and we exalt Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit exists to exalt Jesus Christ. Everything is going to Christ. And let me just say something. This is what Jesus is about. This is what Jesus is doing. He's doing it. Now, he may do it with somebody else or he may do it with us. Our option is this. Do we want to get on board with what Jesus is doing? That's really the question for us this morning. Like he, he's got all kinds of people he's going to save. He can use somebody else to do it. I just wish he would use us. Jesus is about this. The question is, are we going to join him in being about it? And so your response this morning is simple. Your response, first of all, is, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer when you were five. 
If you prayed that prayer and it was an expression of your faith and trust in Jesus and you have been trying, although it looks like this, to trust and follow Jesus, praise God. But if you said a prayer and for the last 10 years you have no desire to walk with Jesus, I'm not sure you ever actually chose to follow Jesus. If you're not a disciple this morning, when we stand and give invitation, don't walk here, run here. And the only reason you're coming here is because we want to talk to you and minister to you and, and help you through this process and know that you've made this decision. And your public profession of faith is not walking forward, it's getting baptized, but we want to know. But can I just ask you this, during our time together here in our last song, if it is on your heart for us to be a church that's all about the mission, would you just pray? If it's really on your heart and you want to get on your knees there or come here, let's just pray, God, let's be about this. There are a lot of churches out there making really good time going in the wrong direction. I don't want that to be us. I want us to be about the right thing. I want us to join Jesus in his mission, and by God's grace, may we do it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.